0: Hey guys, welcome to Hallowed Groundling. This is another flashback Friday Fright Fest. Um, sorry I had to skip last week. I did miss doing it, but uh, it was necessary. Uh, needed a little bit of a break and uh, right back at it. So as I dropped in my hint last week, I'm going to be doing another series, and uh, this one you know, as you could see by the hint, (laughs) is going to be, of course, about Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm very excited to cover this uh, series because I love these movies very much. And I'm going to be breaking it down. Uh, Tonight's podcast will be movies one through three, and then it will be for next week, it will be four through six. And then the last two for the third week will, of course, be New Nightmare and Freddy vs. Jason. And um, that will lead us into uh, our next uh, topic after that, which is kind of fun. So, um, as I said, we're going to be covering 1, 2, and 3 this evening. So, let's start right out. Nightmare on Elm Street was, uh, released in 1984. It was written and directed by the late, great, wonderful Wes Craven. I'm so sad that Wes Craven has gone. I still am. I actually, I cried when I found out that he passed away. I was very sad that day because he's somebody that I've admired for forever. And, um, I was very sad to hear that he had, he had left us too, too far too soon. Um, but he left behind some amazing work and I'm glad that uh, that he did. So, um yes, Wes wrote and directed the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And um I mean, for those of you who don't know, let's do a little br- brief synopsis on it. <laughs> uh the premise is that a young girl named Nancy is having nightmares about this very scary-looking man and come to find out all her friends are having the same nightmares and we find out that it is a Killer that was killed by all of the local parents. Um, he was a child murderer and he got away with it. So the parents got together and did some vigilante justice and burned him to death in his home. And now, of course, he's coming back and seeking vengeance on their children through their dreams. And that is, of course, Freddy Krueger. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the cast. Um, so let's go right off with Nancy. Nancy. <clears throat> is played by Heather LegenCamp. Uh, Heather LegenCamp is amazing in this movie. I love her so much. She's actually, I think, besides Laurie Strode in Halloween, I think Nancy's probably my favorite fa- uh, final girl. Nancy's so tough, and I love that she's not a you know a beauty queen or anything like that. She's just this really cute girl next door, and um, that's actually why Wes Craven uh, cast her. She beat out a lot of people, uh, a, lo- a lot apparently. Um, Tracy Gold and all all these really big um, actresses actually. <laughs> now big you know at the time not so big but um it's pretty incredible because he just loved he said that he loved how next door she looked that she could have lived anywhere in, you know in the country and he liked that about her and she's such a solid character actress too she was great as Nancy um she's just amazing and um and then of course uh Johnny Depp played Glenn and this was Johnny Depp's debut he was a musician uh before he did this so Glenn is uh, Nancy's boyfriend and um, you know, of course, he's so cute in this. I guess Brad Pitt auditioned for this, and a lot of like huge celebrities now auditioned for, for some of these movies. It was great. I guess some some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's amazing in it. I, I love very much uh, when Johnny Depp was on Inside the Actors Studio, and uh, <laughs> and, and James Lipton asked him, you know. Like, you know, wh- who did you play in Nightmare on Elm Street with that voice? And he says, Glenn. And he's just smoking his clove cigarettes, all cool. And he says, and what happened to Glenn? And he goes, I got sucked into a bed. Not a bad gig, you know. Because <laughs> he's just so, you know ridiculously cool all the time um but i really uh he's great in in the first you know nightmare he's he's wonderful as uh, as glenn i love him in that movie i love him in, you know I, I like him a lot actually um i know that he's had some kind of like checkered stuff lately but he's a solid actor and uh he definitely showed how good he was in the in the first one So let's move right along. Um, So Tina, who is a friend of Nancy, is played by Amanda Weiss. She's amazing in it, too. Um, I would say that Tina has, you know, some of the scariest moments in the film, in my opinion. Uh, After, you know, of course, she gets killed by Freddie. She's um, the scene in the room where she does get killed is terrifying. But also, I mean, the scene in the school. I'll get into this in a second, actually. Let me just let me just put it on pause. But. Tina was amazing. Um, Amanda Weiss was amazing as Tina, I want to say. She was really incredible in it and did a really uh, fantastic job. And then, of course, uh, Nancy's father was played by uh, John Saxon, who played Lieutenant Thompson. He's a cop in it. And, um, Ronnie Berkeley played her mother who was also great in it. So a lot of really great, uh, character actors in this movie. Um, you know, Wes Craven said, you know, the neat part about these movies is like you can get people like that are really great. I think Wes Craven, it might've been Robert England, but they said like that you can get these great character actors, you know, cheaper because, you know, they haven't worked as much. So you just get all these amazing people to be in these movies. And John Saxon is no exception. He's, he's really incredible as her dad in the movie. And, um, of course, now that I mentioned him, you have to talk about Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Um, I think Robert England is just an amazing character actor. I love him a lot. I think he, uh... I think he created such an interesting character with Freddy. And, uh, of course, he had so much fun with him, so much fun playing him over the years. He played him, you know, because he gets sillier and sillier as it went on. Of course, we'll talk about that during the next few podcasts. But in the first film, he's so insanely scary. I mean, just this creepy, just terrible, you know, the, the way it was written, like the force that he is in the in the first film, he's not funny at all. There's no, I mean, there's nothing funny about him. Um, so let me give my little bit of background on Nightmare on Elm Street. I think I mentioned this in another podcast. Um, I was very lucky. So since it came out in 1984, I was only six years old when the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out and, oh, sorry about that. (laughs) And, um, you know, of course I was only six, I was far too young to see it. So I didn't see it until I was 16. I actually went to see it in the movie theater because a local theater was showing, scary movies around Halloween time. And I got to see a double feature of the very first Nightmare on Elm Street and the first Friday the 13th in the movie theater. So that was the first time I saw them. Pretty cool. Very exciting. And I remember being completely creeped out, just totally creeped out by um, by Nightmare on Elm Street. It, it really wigged me out. And what I was going to mention before that I, I stopped myself on is the scene in the school um, where Nancy you know, falls asleep, of course, and then to the the Hamlet being read, and then all of us in the whispering, and then she looks and sees you know Tina in the body bag, which is so scary. And like, and then and then when he, she comes out in the hall, and she's laying on the ground, and her feet just go up, and she just gets dragged away. It's just like such an iconic shot. And, uh, I, 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 will never forget the first time that I saw it cause I was completely terrified and it still is creepy. Like when I've seen, when I watched the movie, that scene is still so, so chilling. Um, every single time I see it, it, it gives me goosebumps even just thinking about it. It, it probably is one of my absolute favorite scenes in the movie because it's just so well done. And, um, you know, then, then, of course, you watch like all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and if you have not seen it yet, and I'll plug it a little bit during this, just as I did when I did uh, the Friday the 13th podcast uh, for the first movie, is um, you have to see Never Sleep Again, which is the documentary that they made about all of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, just like they did for um, Friday the 13th with Crystal Lake Memories. It's this... Wonderful, it's like three and a half hours, same thing, because it covers every single movie all the way through. And there aren't as many... Nightmare on Elm Street movies, as there are uh, Friday the 13th, but they definitely give each one its own little, you know, time and uh, they tell a great, they tell all the great stories that had to do with the making of it and all of the, you know, the making of all the subsequent sequels, so if you have not seen it, you definitely have to check it out. And of course, this film was done by uh, New Line Cinema and Bob Shea. Um, at the time, Bob Shea didn't have anything. Bob Shea was like, New Line was a distribution company, actually, and Bob Shea wrote, uh, bought up the rights to Um, Reefer Madness, actually, because he found out that the patent had run out on it and he wanted to show like midnight movies. And when Wes Craven had written this script, he had already done Last House on the Left. Um, He had already done The Hills Have Eyes. And um, he had written this and actually Sean Cunningham, speaking of Friday the 13th, who had been his producer on Last House on the Left, when he read the script, he told him that nobody would be afraid of this movie because it was in dreams; it wasn't real, so nobody would be afraid. And uh, and and subsequently, no one bought the rights to it, wouldn't, wouldn't make the movie. And uh, but Bob Shea was the only one who really believed in it, and he basically mortgaged his whole life to make Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, unfortunately, you know, because he wasn't a big big player, you know, Wes Craven kind of had to sign over all of his rights to do the movie, you know. So he had to sign over everything to do with Freddie to New Line and to Bob Shay because they were mortgaging everything. So you can kind of understand why, but at the same time, it's really it's sad in a way. You know, I, I said, like, I mean, I'll, I'll discuss this as I go further on into the series, but for somebody who like Wes Craven who wrote this character and wrote him in such a way and then had to see him kind of get, you know... Goofed up a little bit, you know, getting goofier and and not, you know, in the way he had originally intended him. It must be difficult for a writer to see that, you know, when they have this <laughs> character. I, I'll talk. I have to mention this is something that that Wes Craven says during um, Never Sleep Again during the documentary is He's talking about when they made Freddy's Dead and he saw the the sign on the side of a bus. That's how he found out that they were making the last. Or well, it's not the last, but you know what I mean. They, that's how he found out that they were making Freddy's Dead and he he said well i guess they've milked the cow for all it's worth and that's what he like said as the bus drove by and and i found that kind of funny but also kind of sad that you know that's the way he found out that this character he had created was going to die was like on the side of a bus you know he found it funny though like he seemed to have a twinkle in his eye and a good sense of humor about it because i guess you kind of have to i mean you can't brood over things forever and then of course um things improved, but I'm getting way ahead of myself here. I think I've jumped to like two podcasts <laughs> ahead now. So anyway, um, but I really love the first film. So I could go on and on about this. Uh, a few more facts, fun facts about Nightmare on Elm Street. It was shot within 30 days. Um, and the, the glove was actually used in uh, part two as well. And it was also, I found this really interesting. I didn't know this in my research, Um, It's seen on the wall in Evil Dead 2, and uh, it's a fun little back-and-forth play that Sam Raimi and um, Wes Craven have done with each other because you actually, Nancy, is watching Evil Dead 1, when she's laying in bed, uh, you know, trying to stay awake. And so Sam Raimi, like, played back with Wes Craven and, and had the glove in the, on the wall in the shed in Evil Dead 2, which I thought was a lot of fun. I had never noticed that before. I had noticed Evil Dead, the first movie was playing. I never, definitely knew what that was when I saw it, but it was like I never noticed the glove on the wall and that Sam Raimi and him were kind of, you know, poking fun at each other and, and laughing um, about it. So some neat facts about it that you might not know um, is that Wes Craven came up with the idea for the film because of a lot of stories that were in the L.A. Times about refugees that um, came over from they were under the reign of Pol Pot and they were Having basically nightmares that were killing them, they um, they would have these horrible nightmares that would keep them, you know, that would that would wake them up, and then they didn't want to go back to sleep, and they would stay awake as long as they possibly could, and then when they couldn't like stay awake any longer, they would fall asleep, and they would literally wake up screaming and die, and they didn't have a heart attack or anything. It was just the doctors had no explanation for what had happened to them, and and Wes Craven found this fascinating, like thought what if something killed them in their dream and like, we don't, we can't see it, you know, we can only, you know, know that they died and we don't know how they died. So that was kind of the the seed that became Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, some other kind of uh, <laughs> things that he was inspired by, uh, the name Freddy Krueger was actually a, a kid that he knew that did a paper route near him that was a big bully to him when he was growing up. This kid, this guy, Fred Krueger, was his bully, so he named Freddy Krueger after him. And uh, I love this story so much, and I loved when Wes Craven told He told it during um, Never Sleep Again, the documentary, But one of the other inspirations that he had was when he was a kid, he was laying in bed and he heard a noise. They lived in like a tenement and he was up on the second floor and he heard a noise and he looked out and he saw this man like shuffling along in like a dirty kind of outfit with a dirty hat like Freddy Krueger. And he was kind of walking down. I guess he felt somebody looking at him. So he looked up at him in the window and he had this really creepy look on his face. So Wes Craven like you know, went down on the floor and was so scared. And he he sat there and he said it felt like he sat there forever. And then he thought, oh, he must be gone. And when he came back up and looked, the guy was still standing there. And then he kind of lunged forward to him <laughs> with his eyes all wide. And of course, he jumped in bed screaming, like freaked out completely. And he thought, you know. That stuck with him. And when he wrote the script, he said, you know, it's somebody that was like, took great pleasure in scaring a little kid. So he he, he definitely used that as part of his inspiration for Freddie. And I liked that story a whole lot. Um kind of another uh, neat little tidbit Um, Freddie is actually in the movie in the first film for under seven minutes if you can believe that Um, I found that fact fascinating but when I thought about it 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 made perfect sense he really isn't in a lot of the movie I mean he, he you know He's in very little of it. And I don't know if, you know, it's it's basically, I think, a case of that Wes Craven knew how to uh, keep his audience in suspense. And he definitely, um, kind of like with Jaws, you know, it's like anything, like you got to keep them in suspense, you got to keep the monster kind of elusive and, and uh, not give them too much right away. So I found that really, uh, really fascinating. Another uh, neat fact about the movie is... Um, Uh, One thing you might not know is that John Waters, uh, all of his movies were done by New Line. He was a favorite of them. He had done um, Polyester, was released uh, before they did Nightmare. Um, He he was like kind of a darling there. And uh, he was actually, it was funny because when they made Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, one of the executives there, she's friends with him, and she showed him the movie. And he told her, he said, this movie is going to be the most massive hit. And of course, you know, New Line uh, was so fledgling, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, they, they really would have gone broke if Nightmare on Elm Street had not been a hit, they would have gone under. And uh, that's why they famously called New Line for many years the house that Freddie built, because it really was. It was the the studio that Freddie built, and of course, it became a huge major player. You know, um, released many many films, and you know, not, not too lately, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, winning an Oscar and uh, winning many Oscars. Sorry, not just a Oscar, winning many Oscars. And um, so they, you know, they really they, they they are very lucky. You know that that uh, that Nightmare on Elm Street became what it did. And I loved that little tidbit that you know, it, well, the executive, his friend, um, she, she like knew that he, John Waters, meaning, um, no, knew, knew a hit when he saw one. He was really good at that, and he's still really good at that. Apparently, like he can look watch a movie and know if it's going to be a big success or not. And he he said he knew from the minute he saw *Nightmare on Elm Street* that it was going to be a huge success. Which, of course, he was right. Um, so that's about it for the first film. I mean, I could talk about it for a while. I really love the movie so much. There's so many parts of it that I love. I love all the booby traps at the end. Uh, Wes Craven's a huge fan of improvised booby traps, so he adds them into things when, whenever he can, whenever he could, I should say. Um, and, uh, and and I love the ending with the, with all the booby traps. And it's, it's just a great film. And, you know, it's funny because... Even though the the moment at the end is kind of silly when her mom gets sucked through the window, it's actually still, it's kind of creepy still. Even though it looks a little silly at times, it's, it's, the thought of it in a nightmare is kind of scary. So, I do love the movie very much. And uh, I hope I did it some justice. So, moving on to the lesser <laughs> in my opinion um Nightmare on Elm Street part two which is Freddie's Revenge uh this was directed by Jack Shoulder and written by David Chaskin um just a brief synopsis for Freddie's Revenge it's uh, about a kid named Jesse who is basically he lives now in the house that Nancy lived in in the famous uh Freddy house, if you want to call it. And, uh, he lives there now with his family. He sleeps in Nancy's bedroom and Freddy is haunting him. Basically he is, uh, and he wants to possess him and take him over so that he can come into the world within his body. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the premise of the movie actually. And of course he has friends that are, you know, don't believe him or, you know, like trying to help and everything. So, um, the, uh, the movie has some really great people in it, though, actually. So uh, Jesse, the character, is played by Mark Patton, who's a wonderful character actor. Uh, he was in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. He's a really great character actor. And, uh, I mean, he's good. He plays, he plays the character well. And um, his girlfriend, Love Interest, is played by uh, Kim Myers. Uh, her, her character's name is Lisa. And um, Kim Myers was hired because she looks a lot like Meryl Streep. And when you look at her, you you do like you'd think she was probably her sister or something. She looks exactly like her—same big eyes, same high cheekbones, like the same face. It's kind of spooky. Hold on. Sorry, I was getting dried out there. Ah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> And then, of course, um, his friend Ron is played by the great Robert Russler, who's very funny. Um, I love interviews with Robert Russler; he actually is very, very amusing and a really, really funny guy. I enjoyed the. Um, I, I've, I've never been a huge fan of Freddy's Revenge. I, I, it's just not as as wonderful as the first one. It's much more ridiculous. Um, you know, it's just not as. I don't know, not as exciting as the first film, in my opinion. But what I did enjoy, and I have to say this, and I'm I'm a huge sucker for documentaries. And I love, as I said, you know, Never Sleep Again, the documentary they made. And a neat thing about it is they they point out all these things that I had never noticed. And that's the fun part of watching one of these documentaries. And... I guess because I wasn't such a huge fan of the movie, I never noticed the uh, homoerotic subtext <laughs> in the film. I think because I, I'm not like it's not my favorite. I don't hate it. I just don't. I don't know. I don't like it very much. It's not. I own it. I own the whole the whole uh, series, but I, I just I like. I would not choose to watch. I literally skip from 1 to 3 usually because 2 just doesn't do it a lot for me. If I'm really doing a hardcore sit down of the series, I will watch 2, but it's just not my favorite out of all of them and um but there are some really uh, interesting facts about it. Yeah, the homoerotic subtext is pretty funny. And when you watch Never Sleep Again, um, you know, Jack Shoulder, the director, claimed he never knew anything about it. He comes across as kind of pompous during the um, Never Sleep Again documentary. He's pretty, like, he talks about how much he disliked the first movie. And I'm just like, he's like, I never was a fan of the first movie. I understand what it was, but I was never a fan. And I was like... Okay, well, you know, you wouldn't have been able to make this movie if there weren't the first one. And why would you be interested in making it if I don't know? He was a he was a little bit of a curmudgeon during his uh, his interviews, you know. But he had worked for them, I guess, making trailers, and he had done another film. I think it was called like Alone in the Dark or so, or Don't Look Now or something. It wasn't Don't Look Now. It wasn't that. <laughs> But it was like something it was another horror film and they had made he had made it for New Line, so they had hired him to uh, to make it. They did not hire West back. Um they, West had a treatment and they had no interest in using the treatment that he had given them. They wanted to like spit it out real fast because, you know, uh, basically where I, you know, what I didn't say, which was an obvious thing is that of course, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street was a huge success, the first film, and uh, it gave them a little bit of, of cash and leeway. So then of course, you know, two, they wanted to get out right away because one was such a hit and then two did even better than the first one you know so that it really built up their cash flow to start doing this and at the time when they made two uh bob shea did not realize what like what he had in a way and he didn't realize also that robert england was freddy krueger like he couldn't just make anybody else and the reason you know so when they made part two robert england's agents very smartly you know they bargained for more money because they were like, well, this was a big hit. You need to give him more money. And Bob Shade did not want to give him more money. So he said, well, we'll just have a stunt man play Freddy Krueger. And they actually started filming for Nightmare on Elm Street part two with a stuntman as Freddy Krueger and he like and they actually have like footage where he's walking around he looks just like like he's like playing Frankenstein he's just real like kind of stocky and walking around and then they said you have to get him because he is the character you know he talks and it's not like it's a person in a suit it's not like it's you know with somebody with a mask on i mean he does wear a mask but he talks you know so I mean, and, and Robert England had created this character. So Bob Shay realized that and they ponied up the dough and they got him to come back and be on the, um, be in the movie. Thankfully. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that's, that's one of the, the things about it, but let me get back to the, the whole homoerotic thing. It's pretty funny. Um, they they were all these little subtle things during it. Of course, the gym teacher, you know, with the balls and then the, you know, when he gets slapped on, snapped on the butt with the towel and, you know, it's like all these little things about it. And of course, you know, Jesse is like, he, he's afraid because this guy is inside of him, you know, it's like, and then, you know, like, as I said, Jack Shoulders said he never claimed he knew that this was the the case. And um, David Chaskin, who wrote it, said he totally wrote it with, with homoerotic subtext. And, um... Subsequently, this movie became a really big hit in Europe because they loved the subtext. They loved the homoerotic subtext of the movie. It gets played in gay clubs all the time uh, in the background, Um, especially Jesse's dance scene in his bedroom. (laughs) Um, It's it's pretty fun, you know. Um, Like that, that part of it, I think, is very interesting. I enjoy that very, I, like when I watched it again, I was like, and then the next time after I saw uh, Never Sleep Again, and I watched the movie the next time I was like, wow, it is glaringly obvious. And I think I maybe I wasn't like aware enough the last time I had seen it before. But then I was like, I'm very aware of it now. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that part of it made it kind of amusing. But it, it's not my favorite in the series. It's definitely very low for me. Um but you know it has its place within it. So, so let's move right along to a Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: Dream Warriors. I love Dream Warriors. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's definitely. I think with one, it's probably my um my next favorite in the series. I I not, I not think it is it is my next favorite in the series. I think it's a wonderful um. A wonderful sequel. It's a wonderful continuation of the film, and uh, of of the you know like uh, just uh, just of everything about it. I should mention, I'm sorry that uh, Freddy's Revenge came out in 1985. It came out like almost immediately after the uh, the next the next one. They did wait a couple of years. Uh, so uh, Dream Warriors came out in 1987. Sorry, I didn't mention the year before. I don't know why I didn't do that. But um, yeah, Dream Warriors came out in 1987. It was directed by Chuck Russell. Uh, it was written. It had quite a few writers. So Chuck Russell did co-write with Wes Craven. Uh, he had he contributed. Bruce Wagner and uh, the incredible Frank Darabont, the amazing um, director of Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. He's like famously done the most you know, some of the most wonderful Stephen King adaptations. And Frank Darabont actually started out at New Line as well, uh, just as Peter Jackson did. Um, We'll get to that too. Uh, (laughs) But um, that was part of the thing at New Line, you know, um, that people, if they uh, became friends with them and friendly and and worked hard for them, they would give them breaks and let them do things. So Frank Darabont, of course, benefited from that. And he did co-write Dream Warriors, so a little bit of a synopsis: um, This uh, movie is about all of the Elm Street children that are left, and they're in an asylum, and uh, they they are all obviously being completely haunted by Freddie, and no one believes them, and uh, they get a new um, the, a new like therapist, I guess she is in it, but it's Nancy. Uh, Nancy comes back playing herself. Henry like camp plays Nancy again, and she comes to help them. Uh, she finds out that they're there and she comes in to help people believe in them and believe that they are being haunted and killed in their dreams by Freddy. So, yeah, it's kind of the basic synopsis of it. Um... She's she's wonderful in it. Once again, she's she's so fantastic. And then uh, they introduce characters. So Kristen is played by Patricia Arquette. It was actually Patricia Arquette's first film. Um, she's of course part of the Arquette dynasty: uh, David and Rosanna and uh, Alexis, of course. And and um, yeah, this was so this was Patricia's first movie, and she's wonderful as Kristen. She's amazing. She plays such a vulnerable, sweet young girl in it. Um, Neil, the uh, doctor that's there that uh, kind of befriends with Nancy, a little bit of like a romantic. He he kind of likes her, I think, a little bit. Neil's played by Craig Wasson. He's great in it, too. A lot of solid solid character acting in Dream Warriors. It's really got a a great cast. Um, So Joey, who's another of the kids who is actually mute in the film, is played by Rodney Eastman. And uh, Kincaid is played by Ken Sagos. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Jennifer is is played by Penelope Sudro. She's amazing in it. And uh, Taryn is Jennifer Rubin. Philip is Bradley Gregg. And... um, there's, like, some great other people in this film, too. Uh, obviously, a couple of standouts. Max, who's a, a nurse in the in the hospital, is played by Lar- Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, Larry Fishburne at the time. Um, not quite as famous, but he's wonderful in it. You know, that same... You know, character actors, when they start out, you know, like, some of them, like, they, you just see the chops that they had from the beginning. You know, and they just get better with age. And, and he's wonderful in it, obviously, too. Um let me see. Uh, a couple of the other people that um, were in it too, Doctor Sims, uh, who's like the head doctor at the hospital, is, is played by Priscilla Pointer. And uh, Priscilla Pointer is a great another. Speaking of character actress, she was in Blue Velvet. She was in the Twilight Zone movie, Mommy Dearest. She was in Carrie. And I found this out when I was doing research. I had no idea, and I felt so stupid. She's actually Amy Irving's mom. So she played Amy Irving's mom in Carrie, and she is her mom in real life, and I had no idea about that. I was doing research, and I'm like, oh, how interesting. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so with Jules Irving. Ju- yeah, so um, Julius, not Jules Irving, sorry. Julius Irving is her um her her dad Julius, I might have that wrong. it's kind of late at night, so forgive me if I do but she definitely is Amy Irving's mom and <laughs> isn't julius serving like Dr. J like the basketball it's not dr. J I think I have that. Anyway, (laughs) Um, so another uh, person that uh, I can bring up too is also um, Brooke Bundy, who um, played uh, Elaine in that's uh, Kristen's mom. And uh, Brooke Bundy is also the mom of uh, Tiffany Helm, who was in uh, the Friday the 13th. She's been in some other horror films, so, but um, so a little bit of crossing there. Um, Some neat facts about the movie Um, Dick Cavett. Uh, who has a little cameo in, of course, the famous Jennifer death scene with the uh, the television, which uh, spawned the wonderful improvised line, you know, "Welcome to primetime, bitch." And um, Dick Cavett, they had asked him to be in it to be to do his show. And they told him he could pick whoever he wanted to be murdered by Freddy in, in the scene, and he picked Zsa Zsa Gabor because he said she was the stupidest person he'd ever met, and he would never interview her on his show, which I thought was kind of funny. And then, of course, you know, Zsa, Zsa gets killed by Freddy Krueger, which is also kind of funny. Um, I liked that little fact when I when I uh, when I did my research. This movie is full of amazing, um, really amazing special effects. Uh, they they almost uh, they they. they Apparently, when the original script and Frank Darabont wrote a lot of the effects that they did, they did not have the money to cover the special effects that were written. There were so many that were written out of the film or changed or made to be cheaper because they just didn't have the cash to do it. But, you know, and I mean, I think they did, still did quite a great job with what they had. Um, Philip's death is particularly disturbing um, when he has, like, he loves the marionettes and when he... Freddy comes up, I remember seeing the movie for the first time on video at home with my friends, and I was like, "Mm," you know, (laughs) when he came up out of the, um, when he grew from the puppet, you know, that would, like, I love that um, stop motion puppetry where he comes up and he just, like, stands up at the foot of the bed, and he does all the slashes of his arms and his feet, his legs, and, you know, and then the strands of his, like, sinew and everything, bring him up like a puppet, you know, and then he brings him to the roof and just cuts him loose. I love that. Um, there's some really great, great moments in the film. Um, of course, you know, Taryn, she is like a, f- a former drug problem and, you know, he has the, the um, syringes instead of knives and says, let's get high. I love that. <laughs> and, I, and of course I love, in my dreams I'm beautiful and bad. You know when they all are doing their their dream um, their dream sequences they're all very funny when you watch never sleep again they they 're all fu- they all tell really wonderful stories about uh making the film and and you know getting cast and you know, they in how they enjoyed the process, but also they had a very difficult process because, you know, there was a lot of tension. They were trying to get the movie made and, you know, I guess the produce, some of the producers didn't get along with the director and it was just, you know, a little bit of a, a difficult situation, but they did make a really wonderful sequel to the films. I mean, and I, and I can't, I can't help but think that the reason why the, the third one is so good is because Wes Craven was involved. And whenever Wes was involved, the movies were wonderful. Um, you know he because he has such a a, a a sweet touch to it. You know, and he at least got to contribute something to the story. And and I mean, you know, Dream Warriors has its little moments that are silly, but it's still definitely scary, Freddie. You know, I think he didn't really turn until the the next film, until the Dream Master Four, where he became quite silly in in moments. But in three, he still had that kind of terrifying, scary. You know. um great suspense you know it's it's just a really well-written of course hospitals are just weird anyway that's why so many horror movies take place in hospitals because hospitals are are they're creepy especially late at night i've been in hospitals unfortunately late at night and it's really they're very creepy they're very weird they're echoey you know and of course there's you know scary stuff going on all around and you know it's a great place to set a horror movie (laughs) um so a uh, couple of things uh, that I also wanted to mention. I found out this little very interesting tidbit. Um, there's a scene in the uh, the film where Nancy and um, <clears throat> Neil go to find Nancy's dad, Lieutenant Thompson, once again played by the great John Saxon, who has like a drinking problem. And he's in a bar and she goes to ask him, you know, where Freddie's bones are because they're trying to, you know, get rid of him so that the children can be free from him. And, um, of course he won't tell her at first, but he's in a bar called, uh, Little Nemo's. And the, the reason that it's called Little Nemo's is there's a comic strip by Windsor McKay about a child in dreamland and it's called Little Nemo in Slumberland. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, when I read that, I didn't, I didn't know about that. So a little bit of a, a fun little tidbit, um, about dream warriors. So, think that's about it for me for dream warriors too. Unfortunately, I mean, I really love that movie very much. I don't mean, unfortunately, I just, you know, I could talk about some of them for a very long time. (laughs) So there you go. There's one, two, and three. And next week, as I said, we're going to be covering, uh, the dream master and, the Dream Child, and of course, Freddy's Dead, which is a, a lot of fun, too. <laughs> and uh, it brings back some uh, some John Waters elements, um, which are always fun. So yeah, and then after that, we'll be covering uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I love, and of course, Freddy vs. Jason, which is a lot of fun, too, in its own way. <laughs> so there you have it, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and, uh, you are, you're enjoying the continuing series and I hope you have a really great week. And, uh, you know, if you're awake, you know, stay awake and, you know, don't be afraid to go to sleep. I mean, you know, unlikely Freddie will come, but maybe he will, you know, you, you never know. I mean, got to ask your parents what they were doing, you know, a while back. Have a great night guys. Stay spooky. Bye.